welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. Uh, I have finished the run of Everyone's a Winner at Sydney Comedy Festival and I wanted to say thank you to everybody who came along, people who emailed me after seeing the show to say that they'd started listening to the podcast, people who listened to the podcast and therefore came to the show and even the people who came and aren't listening to this now. I'm still appreciative, though you will never hear this. Uh, If you want to hear Everyone's a Winner, um, then you can email me and I'll send you a Dropbox link. AliceRFraser at gmail.com is the address to email. And I'm in a kind of a post-show, post-extreme busyness empty space, which feels strange, um, that kind of thing where you're kind of overwhelmingly busy and, and feeling like you're just coping by the skin of your teeth and then things clear up a little bit and you have time and space and emptiness. What next? What next? I have shows in Sydney and in uh, for the next couple of weeks and in Melbourne in July. I'll be there from the 11th to the 18th. Um, and then I'm thinking vaguely of coming to England at the end of the year, depending on things like uh, family stuff and, um, you know, finances. Finances are always the thing, aren't they? So this week's conversation is with Tom Rigglesworth. I had a very long and rambling tea with him and it sort of turned slightly musical, which let me know if you like that or if you don't like that. I'm also thinking of reading some things out on the air that you guys have sent because I get these amazing letters from you and I want to share some of the things you say. So if you have emailed me or if you want to email me, uh, let me know if you're okay with me uh, sharing some of it. Some people have written some private things and obviously I won't share them unless you want them to be shared but I, I do like these letters a lot and it seems a shame for me just to read them and then they disappear because they're really beautiful. Uh, yeah, I've cut down the talk with Tom quite a lot and, and I hope it still makes sense. I don't, I don't hope it still makes sense. It never made sense to start with, but I hope you enjoy it nonetheless. Uh, you're having tea with Alice. smashing them with a fist is going to be like it just it almost only only depends on what you have to hand as to how serious a crime it's going to be yeah yeah yeah. which is funny because if you're punching someone with the intent to kill them like you you're just so angry and if you had a knife you'd stab them and if you had a gun you'd shoot them it's still a much lesser crime Mm, mm. of course well the consequences are so drastically but then the intent the intent changes a lot, doesn't it? Can colour that. Premeditated and all that. Like punching someone and accidentally killing them. Mm-hmm. Eggshell skull rule. It's a legal rule, um, which says if you intend to hurt someone, uh, but you don't intend to kill them, for example. The fact that they have an eggshell skull is not a mitigation to the crime. If it was re- if it was foreseeable that they could have been caused harm, you can't say, oh, I didn't mean to cause that much harm. And just because they had an idiosyncrasy that made it cause much more harm, like you wanted to 
you know, you knew they were celiac and you put some gluten in their food and then they die, which you didn't expect. You just thought they were going to get sick. It's still... Is it? Yeah. Because otherwise everyone would be like, oh, I only meant to shoot him a little bit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean to kill him, right? You didn't mean to go right through. They were supposed to bounce off. Yeah, and I think that came from an English case where someone in a pub was punched and died of it. So punching, you can't get manslaughter or accidental, you can get murder. You can get murder if you intend to cause them harm. Yeah. And then they and die. They die yeah. What about if you like comically put down ball bearings outside the house? Go on. Even if ball the person... bearing abuse? Even if the person... The more, the more serious crime. More fair, yeah, misuse of ball bearings. <laughs> My grandfather had a ball bearings factory. Did he? Yeah, he's a Czechoslovakian Jew called Adolf Friedenberg. They made the best Friedenberg ball bearings. <laughs> or the most spherical in town. Well, he was trying to sell them to the RAF during World War II, right? And they said, we love the ball bearings, Adolf, but mm, the name. The name, yeah. And yeah, so he really... promptly changed it to Andrew Peter Fraser, which was the Did most he? Anglo name he could think of. Andrew Peter Fraser? Yeah, yeah, that is pretty Anglo, yeah. Yeah, he might as well call them Bob's ball bearings. Mm. Uh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Bob's your uncle. Bob's my uncle. I have Bob. an uncle, Bob. I do. Uh, they're, they're the roundest in town. <laughs> Rounder than the sun. No, I'm money back. Are you trying to go into ball bearings now instead of comedy? I've seen a few people. It's few a steady industry. Yeah. Or a... Spinny. Keeps spinning over. Keeps, yeah, keeps... Rolling keep going. Along. Keep going. It's bring it more. <laughs> Why have you been stressed recently? Um, well, um, I did Edinburgh last year, mm. August, mm. and then did four episodes of a radio series, wrote, recorded, and then um, toured January, February, March, a bit of April flat was being bought through this. Recorded an episode one of the second series in the middle of that. Mm. So much. And then uh, and then I'm sort of here. I kind of haven't stopped. Yeah. It feels like for a year, genuinely. Like there was periods in... Well, I, was to- I, I remember there was a, like 18 nights where I toured every night. I had two nights off and in those I did other gigs. One of them was on telly. The other one was something else important. And recorded one of those was a radio recording. Yeah. I was I was staying in hotels. It was it was really good. Like I'm not complaining, but um, it Just did do my head in. Problems are problems. I think people people tend to dismiss problems that arise out of benefits, but that doesn't mean those things are not problems. Yeah, it's that, like, that's right. Yeah, you know, if you, I mean, uh, someone was talking about this the other day. Uh, a comedian, Cam Knight, was talking about how it's difficult for him because he's quite good looking to get people to take him seriously as a comedian. Which is really funny because people are like, oh yeah, how's that a real complaint? Oh, I'm too good looking for comedy. But that doesn't mean it's not, just because you have a benefit from something doesn't mean there's not also a disbenefit. Like for example, being really muscular, if you want to be a rock climber, that doesn't make that not a problem. For example, or if you're really thin, and you know all women are like, "Oh, well, I wish I was that thin," but you have trouble getting pregnant. Like, these are still problems. It depends what you want out of life. So you want to relax. Yeah. But you're uh, also very happy that you're busy. 
Absolutely. So it, in, in, and it, so it therefore, because it's sort of a double-edged problem in as much that it is a problem because it's causing you like a degree of discomfort. But then you even verbalising or articulating that that is a problem makes you sound like a whiny prick, mm. which then make, is a problem. Yeah. So for the good-looking guy going, oh, I can't be taken seriously, too good-looking. He part of his also must be thinking, what a fucking knobhead. Yeah, exactly. Because he feels like that's not even a legitimate yeah. complaint. Yeah. So now your problems are being like you're, you're now undermining your own problems. This is one of the things I found out uh, recently with the kind of mentioning my mom stuff, which I hadn't been doing, and then I st- just sort of mentioned it because I started dropping the ball on a few things. Like I just double booked myself a few things, and I was like, ah, oh, why am I doing this? Oh, okay, yeah. I've been compartmentalizing, but there's a bit of bleed, right? Yeah. And then I would be talking to someone and I would mention something that had happened and then they would say something about their life. And they're like, look, I know it's not even a real problem. It's not even like, I can't even compare. And you're like, it's not about comparing. Like problems, they're not like that. That's not how they work. They're not. It's it's like, for example, um, Lulu did a presentation a bit ago and she said there were 20 people there. Or something like that. Yeah. And she said, and it was the first, sort of the first type of thing like this that she'd done. Um, and there's a, a, a new app like this software called Prezi. I don't know if you've seen yeah, it. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I've seen it. It's very cool, right? Yeah, yeah. And she did it all on that. It looked incredible. Um, anyway, it all went very well. Is that a safe noise? It's a bird. <laughs> we're not under attack, are we? No, we're not. Okay. That's how um, birds sound in Australia, in town, sort of right? aggressive and vaguely in pain. What are those sort of pigeons with a massive hooked beak things? Ibises. Yeah. They look like they have cuts under their arms. Do they? Yeah, they have sort of red underarms. It looks really disturbing. And they will steal your sandwich. They're they vicious, angry birds. They shit out of me, they do. Yeah, they're terrifying. Yeah. But anyway, Lulu said, oh, there's 20 people there. I don't know how you do it when there's... 200 or whatever people in the audience and I said yeah but it's not it isn't that at all that isn't that isn't like that line of thought is absolutely futile because you either red line on anxiety or you don't red line on anxiety so for someone I remember doing gigs in front of 10 20 40 people and then it's not like you get twice as nervous when there's 80 people there and then you don't get twice as nervous when there's 150 and I get more that, nervous with small weirdly audiences. you end up getting more nervous with small because you right? can see their faces and they haven't merged into that nice amoebic blob exactly. that you want a yeah. kind of a group think response yeah exactly and there's a critical mass of an audience where they themselves become a disparate group of people if there's only 10 of them and each one by laughing sort of indicates something about themselves mm. and but then when there's a mass of 200 it, it it, you, yeah, you get that mob thing. You get a mob thing, and then, and then even if, and then by the time you're up at like 500, you only need to make half of them laugh, and that's enough to make the other half kind of laugh out of osmosis or something. Communal kind yeah, of, or, yeah. Or just resonance. There are enough people in the audience that do well. Uh, like I have a friend, Rob Hunter, who's a an unusual comedian, and if he's in a small crowd, people aren't sure if they should laugh or not, because it's slightly yeah, uncomfortable it's comedy. Yeah, comedy, yeah. But when he has the bigger the crowd he has, the more likely he is to have people in hysterics. It's really an yeah. amazing thing to watch. And the sound of people laughing at something can often well, it does make it. It gives a comfort to it because mm. every, like it took me years to work this out, but it is so true. Audiences, 
they just, they're never wrong. You know when people come off and go, oh, they suck audience, but uh, I hate comedians that are just out to shock. I hate them so much. Yeah. Um, I don't mind, I, I love misstepping and I love, uh, you know. Playing with tension. And yeah, practice. yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But when it's just that, you've just said that to, because it's wrong. Yeah. Um, and there's no real spin of the... Yeah, there's no... There's no comedic twist of the... That's an open mic a mistake, though. Yeah, just getting a yeah. shock laugh. Yeah. You don't realise that you might... That the trade-off for that shock laugh is you lose the trust of the audience. You can do, or... or yeah, you can do, or sometimes you don't. But, but I guess, ultimately, the reason why sort of people have been on television... I've, I've got friends right in England who are, are really famous now mm. and I've known them when they weren't and th- th- I'm thinking of one in particular right and he went on and he's so well loved in, in the UK and he turned up at his gig and he wanted to do like 10 minutes or something and so everyone went yeah yeah of course and I went in the audience to watch him and he came on and after people had stopped going mental which was about five minutes it didn't everything he said was hilarious mm. and, it, and it wasn't it was much funnier in the dressing room you know it wasn't funny yet it will be but it wasn't then yeah but they were loving it because they felt so safe mm. so safe in his company um and if you, and, and just and comfort often comes well can easily come from similarity or, or um uh just the fact that you've seen them before yeah just, just that you know what to expect. That's yeah. why people eat McDonald's, right? Yeah. Just and it's so. why, I think, why the more famous a comedian gets, the less likely they are to be edgy. Mm. Because it, like, it's almost like the more broad you go, the more people just want you to be nice to be around. Just like Ellen, for example. You know, she's, mm. if you see her do stand-up, she's really, she pushes it. But when she does her show, it's mainly it's just about being friendly and like. It's all lovely, isn't it? Ditto Jay Leno was apparently just a genius. I've never seen him do stand-up, but apparently he was a, like he was really, really good. And now his thing is very safe, 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 safe. very, very yeah. safe. I don't think that's a bad thing per se. No, and you've, and of course by that point you've got inevitably sponsorship and corporate editorials to sort mm. of abide by so that's going to massively affect what you can and can't say and you're not going to chuck that away are you if you're no if you girl, want to make oh, a living you know, doing yeah, this yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll save that for some other late night gig and i'll say this sort of well also because with this industry there isn't really a safe route especially in australia i think in england more there is sort of there's a sort of a middle class of comics in somewhere like australia or even in America, if you tour all the time, you can make a living out of it, a decent living. But there's no guarantees, right? So why would you not take the big money if and when it's offered? Yeah, of course, yeah. Because otherwise, the other option might just be never getting paid again, ever. Yeah. Like, it's not like you can reject the big money <laughs> and go for the medium money. Like <laughs> it's not necessarily... I mean, people will characterise it as a question of greed, right? Yeah. That you must, you, you're grasping for the big money because you want the big money and the fame. But they don't understand what the alternative is. And the alternative yeah. might not be, I'll take, you know, $100,000 less or I'll take $100,000 a year instead of a million dollars a year. It might be a million dollars a year 
or nothing. Like, yeah, you're right. Just and what you can get from. I mean, that touring. might be a bit polarized. It might not be that level of extreme, but you're not far off. And I think sometimes, even if it isn't actually that extreme, I think the fear is that extreme. The fear is absolutely that extreme, and and sometimes people, um, the people who like. Uh, like scorn at people that do adverts mm. um, and say I'd never do that I'd, I'd always stay true to myself the people who don't basically abide by that sort of binary suggestion that you just made have usually got some sort of middle class savings nest that means that they can surf through in the middle regardless of whether they yeah. went a million pounds or zero they yeah. like, well, I've got like and go back to my parents' yeah. house. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they tend to not mention that when they scored at people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't say did either. Uh, actually, I'm heir to a multi-million pound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ball bearings company. Ball bearings company. Yeah. <laughs> I think the problem is also that um, if you are, um, what am I thinking? If you don't respect copyright, right, and you don't think people should be paid for their work, creative their creative work directly, then the only people who will pay for creative work are going to be corporations or the government, mm -hmm. which means that you limit free speech, right? Yeah. Because people can't just get paid for saying whatever they want to say. There's a really cool thing um, that I've recently signed up to that I'm not sure whether it'll work, but it's called Patreon, which is based on the idea of patronage, where people can give you money, not like a Kickstarter, but just through the fact that they like your work and they want you to keep producing your work. So they just give you whatever, $2 a month or whatever. And that's this form of kind of non... Like sponsoring a child. Yeah, like sponsoring an artist, which is kind of what, you know, a lot of wealthy do you, people... Do you get a letter from them every... Yeah, well, I think they can figure it out. I think I haven't... Um, I haven't figured out how it all works and apparently you're meant to put up a video and all this stuff which I haven't done but I just like the idea of it because you're paying someone not to do an album or not to yeah. finish a project but just because you're like I like your work I believe in you as an artist I want you to keep doing what you're doing so you don't have to take that ad or whatever I, I sponsor I don't sponsor any artists but I sponsor a child in Romania and a tiger somewhere a tiger somewhere. Yeah, you don't know where the tiger is. Well, it's probably important to know oh, where that. tigers are. <laughs> I was not like oh, oh, oh. just the <laughs> oh, There he is. He's coming to visit. <laughs> oh, that's it now. Just clawing the door now. <laughs> Daddy. Um, I knew I'd forgotten to feed something. <laughs> uh, no, it, that was a present. Not the tiger. I mean, the sponsorship of the tiger was a present for niece. Ah, I see. So the niece gets letters from the tiger. Really? Well, that's what they tell me. I don't know. It's, oh, this seems like a lying... Tigers are not great at writing. Well, no. They're uh, like beautiful women. They're more often in poetry than creating than it. Cre yeah, uh, a bit unfair. To bit of internalised misogyny there. Yeah, I write well, poetry. Bit, <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, you know, um, some tigers can certainly mash a keyboard. I've never seen it happen. I but I, I believe, I would believe but you. But I've read their work and it's quite articulate. Well, apparently uh, Hello Kitty, although invented... 
Japanese invention, her backstory is that she's meant to come from England. Is she? That's why it's Hello Kitty. AC Milan is AC Milan mm. and not AC Milano. True. Because it was formed by English people. But Hello Kitty was written by Japanese people for themselves. But she's meant to come from England as a kind of an exotic background, like yeah. Paddington Bear coming from Peru. Oh, well, I see. Uh, and also, you know, on a similar but slightly disjointed vein... As the rest of this conversation well, has been. like Sheffield, if I said to you I'm from Sheffield, what does that make you think of? You're a chef. No. Sheffield Shield? The cricket? No. I mean, that doesn't even exist. Yeah, the Sheffield Shield. Or, or may, maybe it's now been changed, the sponsorship. But it used to be called the Sheffield Shield. I'm almost sure. I'm not a big sports... This is an Australian thing. Yeah, sports. Oh, well, game. now I'm talking about Sheffield in England. Yeah, but what about it? Knives and forks. Oh, see, I don't know your British oh. knife and fork oh. history. <laughs> well, they used to make knives and forks for the whole world, Sheffield did. Mm. They used to make all the best cutlery. And? And... Um, you know, following the um, industrial boom and then bust, uh, Japanese steel started to be produced, <gasps> and they called the, the the place where the steelworks were. They called they renamed that area Sheffield, <gasps> so they could put on made in Sheffield. Really, yeah. that's super sneaky. So, uh, very sneaky, isn't it? And then so the Sheffield smart, smart course is same as Hello Kitty though, but you know True. just what did you know. Inventing a small cartoon cat didn't plunder a city into economic decline. True. That's where the differences are. To be fair, though, you know, Sheffield could have renamed itself Tokyo and then just started producing great, sushi, right? Yeah, yeah, that would have been brilliant. Yorkshire pudding sushi, if they just, if they just, <laughs> Yorkshire, it's Yorkshire pudding and beef rolled up, sliced and ate with two pencils. <laughs> and, and That sounds boring. That and and, cold, so and you have it cold. Oh God! And and wasabi like does look a little bit like mushy peas. It does. Very Sheffield. They so just smear of that on the plate. Oh God! And we could have really, we could have deconstructed really modern because I, look, I am sure that that's already happened. We could have hit Japan where it hurts. <laughs> exactly. You could have. <laughs> Do you know what we did instead? What? Instead, Declined. We, put, we, we went into <laughs> massive economic decline of which we've never recovered. But in the bid to try and reverse the tide, they started putting made in Sheffield, Yorkshire. Ah, and then Japan named itself. I don't Yorkshire. think they. <laughs> I don't know. It's sort of. I think that's. Well, that what clearly it, didn't work. They should have just said like "made in Sheffield for real." The real one, yeah, yeah. By the way, have you tried our Yorkshire pudding sushi? <laughs> made in Tokyo, yeah. downtown <laughs> Sheffield, <laughs> right? <laughs> I like that. Uh, how yeah. do you know about that? Or it's just sort of drummed into your head as a Sheffield boy. The, that that was the thoughts. cause of your decline, the, the Japanese sneakiness. Um, yeah, it's just a, a Sheffield, yeah, everybody from Sheffield should know that. I don't think they probably so do. is there a lot of anti-Japanese sentiment in Sheffield? Or is it more sort of anti-capitalist no, pig it's, it's, sentiment? It's, uh, there's no, I don't think there's any, I mean, people would, uh, I mean, all, all British industry has gone abroad, hasn't it? Mm. So, but, but no one's... Well, I'm sure that some people are, but I don't know where they're probably angry with the government or something. 
Probably. But they used to make it oh, Sheffield. Stainless steel was invented in Sheffield. Really? Mm. Before that it was just stained steel? Before that it was, yeah, before it was grubby steel. Grubby steel. Uh, and, uh, well, it would rust. Ah, so it would. Um, so keep oiling it and polishing it. Yeah, you keep oiling and polishing it. Um, and then uh, there was, there's, it's like a perfect equinox of, as, as whenever an area uh, organically becomes an industrial sort of powerhouse, there tends to be an equinox of natural resources, labour and, and things like that. So there was, um, there was two rivers, so we got power from the rivers. There was nearby like plenty of um, iron ore. Mm. Um, I'm not sure where, they, I mean, I, I mean, and canals were being built and everything. Mm. I'm a bit sketchy on the details, but... Um, so I'm not going to... Yeah, I, I know that I could kind of say anything. And yeah, then, and then we had, we had Yeah, loads of like iron fish that you yeah. could catch and melt down into <laughs> Sounds iron. Sounds good. They easily caught the iron fish. They just tend to just sink at the bottom. The bottom. You yeah, just yeah, scrape yeah. them without, with a rake. Just lift them out, really, yeah. Put a magnet above <laughs> the water. <laughs> it was that easy. So, oh, back in the good old days. Of course it was overfished. Full of minerals, yeah, of course. <laughs> Just kept making steamboats out of them. Now, yeah, exactly. Fish. Now we make spoons out of cod, and it's just not the same. <laughs> <laughs> but they, and also though, now kind of where I grew up, um, there was in the hills, uh, millstone, and that was perfect for sharpening. Mm. So we basically had a history of making farm implements mm. and stuff out of metal. We very decided to make them tiny. Well, then, like, then clever, the, the sort of clever scientists and, and people of the day became metallurgists mm. and studying the temperatures that stuff happens to metal and becoming aware of how you can mix it up. And I love early scientists because yeah, they just amazing. did everything. Like, yeah. They just did anything. Like Isaac Newton, was while no he modeling, was, was sitting can... down, putting a spoon in his eye to try and distort his lens and figuring that out, he was still trying to turn lead into gold. Like, and he was still just doing these weird experiments on dogs and things. Just, it wasn't like you had a very specific area of research. You just were like, oh, what if yeah. I do that to that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just had an overwhelming urge to... What if yeah. I spend six weeks looking at the moon? You know, what's going to happen? Yeah. Or whatever. Just these weird... And they'd dig pits and put telescopes in them and then realise it was too damp to actually look through the temp. Like, just... They just did stuff. Yeah. I really respect that. No, there is something wonderful, isn't there, about that? Just completely um, mad. So out of this, I don't know if he was mad, but um, a guy then mixed, uh, um, oh, I should know this, but he mixed um, iron with oh, whatever it is to make steel, and then you do something to it and it becomes stainless steel. Make an alloy, yes. Yeah, exactly. So they're big on the alloys in Sheffield, big on the alloys. But then obviously once you know how to do it, anyone can do it. Yeah, so you lose your, yeah, you lose your edge. Unlike stainless steel. Exactly. They were sharp, and then now they're now they're dull. Now, now they're, they're lost in the history. What's well, interesting? I like I like um, some elements of capitalism. I like the competitiveness. Like I don't think you should just not advance, even though some things fall by the wayside. Absolutely. Yeah. It just um, it <laughs> like. Capitalism's almost like a drunken party, isn't it? It, it? There's always some good out of it, but it just tends to go too far. It does. 
It and does. That, that's the problem. It was funny when you were dancing on the table, less funny yeah. when you started. Now look. Yeah. Someone's fallen on the dishwasher with it folded down. Oh. <laughs> that's graphic. Has that actually happened to you or was that no, just something you thought about? It's something I unnecessarily thought about and for which I apologise. Oh, don't apologise. I'm sure someone enjoyed it. Probably you. Well, it's like true some, though, isn't it? Would you like some tea? Yeah. What yeah, kind of tea? Uh, green tea, black tea, or more coffee? I can also do more coffee. Um, I'll have more coffee. played all the songs already and he thought well I don't know any other folk songs he drew a blank um, and then so he, he played this Elvis song because he thought that's basically a folk song right because it's a song of the folk everyone knows it and so I do it in my show the um, which one one two I think that's where that, that it's got a mad chord in it. Yeah, it goes like a river flows, surely to the sea, darling, so it goes. My uncle was a Say it again. Your uncle quit. Medicine. He quit medicine because of, of an E7 chord. Because so he was meant to be an eye doctor. <laughs> it doesn't make any <laughs> He wanted to be an well. His family wanted him to be an eye doctor, right? Right. Um, and he didn't want to be an eye doctor. He wanted to be a pianist. Oh. And he was an excellent pianist. Um, he hated the G sharp. But and then he went out to a jazz night, right? 
like one of those kind of funky it was like in 19 whatever 13 or 14 we went out to some jazz night in Hungary which is where it was from and heard this like amazing mind-blowing E7 suspended chord and yeah. it was just like fuck it and didn't show up to his final exams whoa would it have been could it have been the um probably I don't I don't know but he just Hendrix chord but it was that's some dodgy 70 90 yeah 30. yeah yeah and then he, it would have been four Hendrix long before but he, he quit uh, to stop being a doctor came out the other side of the wall and just played piano for the rest of his life. Until he was 94, he played every night. Really? Yeah, for the um, Cosmopolitan Cafe down the road here. And then they changed because they wanted to renovate and be more funky and then he played at the Woodfire Pizza and Cabaret place. And then he broke his hip and died shortly after. But yeah, just played the piano. Almost completely deaf, but just that was his mm. thing all those kind of... Could he feel the piano, do you think? When he oh, I think he could feel the vibrations. He played very thumpy loudly in that <laughs> kind of loud, continental yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, and then he had all these like swooning biddies, like ancient crones who just loved him and would just show up to all of his things. Anyway, the sing-along works really well in my song, in my show, because it's a show about why I quit the corporate world and so it can be a bit cold. If I bring everyone in with a sing-along, then they feel like I'm less of a cunt. of that sort of thing and I was thinking about it the other day and I cannot as as much as you try to intellectualise things like that I, even if you absolutely nailed why this 
joke is works. It's still funnier than that. It's it's got its own perfection about it. Mm-hmm. And is is from Newcastle, right? Um, which is in the north of England. And he's very. He looks quite plain. He's a bit chubby. Very. He's like handsome, but really quite. He's just looks like an average bloke mm-hmm. and from the right angle absolutely average mm. um, so much so that he sort of dissolves yeah, yeah. a good spy yeah make yeah a good spy. yeah, yeah. He, he could exactly he could be hiding in plain sight and he says half of his set um, or at some point that he looks like someone who used to play snooker with your brother <laughs> and it is an incredible moment of Every yeah, and I, and everybody, I'm sure. I've spoke to a few people like they all go. That is so true. I don't know how. How does he know that? Like that is so true. I don't even have a brother. <laughs> even people, and even if they had a brother, they hadn't got arms. Yeah, <laughs> just he just looks like. That, right? <laughs> but he, he's got that. He's got the look of a guy who turned up at your house was a friend of your. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was just some, oh, some, in the background, yeah, yeah. and then just went with it. And you, it's just such a beautiful sentence like I say even if you try and analyze it doesn't work it never you never quite go well, that's why there's that's always why. an extra sort of level of resonance about it that makes me laugh every time I hear it and I, I can't believe how good it is yeah there's sort of a level of comfort with him even though you don't know him very well yeah you yeah sort of trust him and you yeah and yeah. he just lands that on you like I look like someone who's played snooker with or something like, I can't remember exactly how I said it but he's and you look like you'd be good at the guitar yeah, but his is definitely better than, than that. His it's, has... It's interesting. There are some people, like, when you comment on your appearance, it's interesting when it works and when it doesn't. It doesn't often work for women because people either feel like you're being self-conscious and self-deprecating and then they don't want to laugh because they feel like then they're confirming your self-criticism or it can come across as vain. And the other time it doesn't work is when it's something you've clearly done to yourself. Yeah, quite right. Like there was a guy who used to come up and he'd talk about how everyone said he looked like Russell Brand, but it was because he styled himself he like Russell, Russell Brand. Yeah. It wasn't. Yeah. It's you know, it's like, you know, it's like going on with wacky hair and going, whoa, what's with this hair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's um, something you've clearly done to yeah, yourself. Yeah, it's annoying, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's like. <laughs> I hate that. I hate it so much. It's but, awful, like you know, that that yeah. kind of it's so it's like prop comedy basically when it, you do yeah. that and it doesn't quite work. Yeah, I've seen I've seen um I've seen comedians go talk about like um having a shit haircut quite yeah. quite a lot. And you're like you just You you to- yeah, but you you totally said cut it like this. Yeah. So that I can make a joke um, about it, right? I mean in the odd like I, I have I remember seeing a, a brilliant comedian and she used to make a joke about cutting her own hair. Yeah. And and it was obviously true and yeah. and really funny and sweet when she pointed it out. Yeah. Um and, and I think she used to sort of land it on you in a very I, I can't remember how she said it, but it was really lovely. Uh, and it was always it was something like, I, my, my name is Josie and I, I Oh Josie Long. I, yeah, yeah. She's and, great. And she'd say, I well I cut my own hair. Or something like that. There was a sort of slight sucker punch, as I remember it. I could be wrong, but that's how I seem to remember it. I talk, I have one joke about my hair in my show. Well, actually, I have a whole segment about hair, 
because I talk about being in a law firm and how when I was at the law firm people would look at me like this, they'd talk to me like that and they would keep, I, I kept feeling like I should straighten my hair because I kept getting these compliments, right? You're so brave not to straighten, right? And that was weird. That's a compliment. Isn't it? Yeah, because it's like it's a statement not to straighten your hair. I talk about that and the weirdness of that because uh, apparently it makes you look like a messy thinker. But then I take out my hair and I pull it all out and I say, I once went in, I used to be more into maintenance, but I once went into a hairdresser and I said, thinking of getting it done really short, and he said, are you a dyke? And I said, just a trim, thanks. Because that's actually true. I thought of getting it like yours, short, and he just was so against it that I was like, so, yeah. I, I, I haven't had a haircut since. Really? When no. was that? That was 2006. No. <laughs> uh, I haven't had any cut for about two years. That's just because I'm poor and lazy. You shouldn't cut it though. I'll cut it at some point. Yeah. I should cut it before my brother's wedding. So at least get a trim. But I need it long and kind of wild for